I don't know how many times you've ever stayed in a hotel room, perhaps, you and your family, but whenever we stay in a hotel room, one of the first things I do is I, I walk in, and like most men, I go over and I crank the air conditioner down a little bit, a little bit cooler, right? Or turn it up, however you say it. About the second thing I do is turn on the television. That just drives Crystal up the wall, but I still do it. And uh, turn on the TV, I'm ready to watch something, ready to kick my feet up and relax just a little bit. If there's a desk in there and there's a room service brochure, or one of the kids will walk over there and they'll grab it and they'll open it up. Inevitably, inevitably one of them's going to say, ooh, can we order room service? And of course, what do you think I say? No. <laughs> no. Ooh, look at this. Some cream brulee, something, stuff I can't pronounce, you know. There's always something fancy on, on the room service menu. And uh, order, hey, we can just get pizza. They make pizza. I mean, there's something. Come on, can we get room service? And the answer is still, say it with me, no. Right? I'm a fuddy-duddy, I guess, but it's no. But I will admit, there is something about being able to pick up the phone and the person answers on the other end and say something to them like this. I'll have this, I'll have that, and I'll... I'll have it as soon as you get here, room such and such. And they say, it'll be right up. It'll be Something powerful about that, is there not? Something about being able to tell someone what you want, and then all of a sudden it comes to your room. And we think that would be great if we could have that with every situation in life. But the truth is, King Solomon tells us in the Word, he had a life like that, but it wasn't all cream. It wasn't all peaches and cream. It wasn't cake and ice cream that he came to the end of his life and he starts saying things like this it's all vanity all of this doesn't make me happy but chasing after God makes me happy these things I have everything the Bible says he's the wealthiest man did you know that other kings brought gold and silver to King Solomon I mean wow who does that who gets that they didn't make him happy and I think that's exactly how we would feel if we could just bow the knee, look to heaven, pray, and all of a sudden, poof, there it is. Anything that we ask of God, automatically, it's right there every time. I think we would come to feel like He does. That still won't make us happy. If God gave me everything I ever asked for, I wouldn't be happy. Sometimes God has to say no. Sometimes God has to say wait. But God always gives us what we need. He always does that. He loves us, but He's not room service. In fact, He's so much more, the Bible says He's our Heavenly Father, right? And that's what we started off with in Matthew 6. So let's turn there, Matthew 6, verse 9 through 13. And let's just read this passage beginning in verse 9. Go to verse 13 and we'll stop there. In this manner, therefore pray, our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So as you increase your prayer life, Jesus said this, begin by focusing on God. The King James, we all learn this, and the King James perhaps says, thy 
name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The thys, right? And, and our translation this morning said, Your name, your name, your kingdom, your will, your name, your will be done. And so when we pray, we're to first get our focus on God. And so people say, well, I don't know how to pray real well. And so they're afraid to pray. Here's step one. Get your, get your focus on God. He's the one you're praying to. What do you know about his name? Well, I don't know much about his name. I remember some things from Sunday school and how he parted the Red Sea. Lord, you're the God who can part the Red Sea. I mean, why not just start there? That tells me he's all-powerful, amen? He can do that. And so we just focus on him and his name. And when we pray, we get our focus on God and who he is because he's the one who has the power to help us. But then notice the change in verse 11. In verse 11, it changes, and we begin to read the word us. From you to us, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Forgive us. Give us our daily bread. And most often when we think about God, you know what we do? We think about our obligation to Him. And I think one of the reasons we do that is, first of all, we've heard it hammered from the pulpit so much. We are obligated to Him. And let's be honest. We have an obligation. He's our master. He is our Lord. And to think that we're going to make him Lord of our life but not obey him, that's, that's crazy. Nothing works like that. He is our Lord, our master, our savior, and we are obligated to follow him. That's our obligation. We made that obligation to him. But have you ever thought about this? What is God's obligation to us? Does God have an obligation to us as his children? And I would answer this and say, you bet he does. He's declared that he's obligated himself to us. Philippians 4 verse 19 is, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. So has God not obligated himself to us? He has, hasn't he? And why shouldn't he obligate himself to his children When he says, I'm your heavenly father and I want you to pray to me. I'm your heavenly father and I want you to seek after me for the things that you need. Why would he not obligate himself to us? We're his children. And all those who have brought children into this world, you know, you're obligated to take care of them, right? We brought four children into this world. We're obligated to care for them. We're obligated obligated to meet their basic needs. And so we have to work to do that, especially us who are fathers. Those who are fathers, you're obligated, man. I mean, you are obligated to take care of your family, to do your very best. I'm not talking about times when you did all that you could and it still wasn't enough. I'm not talking about that. That's what I call unearned guilt. Don't don't guilt yourself with that, all right? I'm talking about we're obligated to do whatever has to be done and whatever we can possibly do to take care of our children. I think we would all agree with that. For us to neglect to take care of our own children, the Bible says, means we have departed from the faith and we're worse off than an infidel. An infidel is an unbeliever. He says you're like you're lost to not even care to take care of your own. So we don't want that tag, certainly. Not to mention that we could be arrested if we don't take care of our kids. And I can remember times when Chris and I would be in a hurry, maybe leaving a little bit late, and we'd say, you kids get in the car, and rush and get in the car, and 
I don't care, just get in the car, we've got to go, we're going to be late. And we get them in the car and you get there and the kids get out of the car and then you're standing there talking to someone, you look over there and you see your kids and we look at each other and we go, I didn't know they were wearing that. Look, he's got ketchup all over his white t-shirt, he's got mustard, I mean, he's got, was he playing in the dirt before we left? Look at his jeans, I mean, he's looking like a mess. That one's not here this morning, so I'm, you know, figure that one out. Anyway, and, and we look at each other and we'd say something like this. Somebody's going to call the law on us. I mean, they think we're neglecting our kids, but we got behind, and so we rushed them up here and all that. I know, look, y'all are guilty of the same thing. I'm sitting here looking at some of y'all. You know you've been there. You've been there. You've done that. People probably think we're the worst parents ever sometimes when we're really not. But here's the thing I'm getting to. God will never be guilty of child neglect. God will never be guilty of that. He takes care of His children and He's going to take care of you. He's bound to His own Word. He does not lie. He takes care of His own. And if you're His child and you're walking in obedience to His Word, He must take care of you. He's obligated Himself to do that to those who follow after Him. My God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now there's a difference between a want and a must-have, and we understand that. If God's truly called you to do something, though, and if he, wants you to, if he wants you to go to college, if He wants you to go to seminary, if God's called you to the ministry, He wants you to go to seminary, He'll make a way. He's not going to call you to do something He's not going to lead you through. If God's called you to do anything with your life, He's going to supply the need. It doesn't even have to be ministry related. If God's called you to do anything, He will supply the need. God calls you to be faithful in your life. God calls you to provide for your children. He will open up the doors so that you can as you seek Him and put Him first. Adrian Rogers used to tell this story about a man who believed he was being called to seminary. This young man said he believed God had called him to be a preacher. He wanted to go to seminary, but he said... Uh, he couldn't go because of the finances. He just didn't have the money. So Adrian Rogers looked at the young man. He said, you believe with all your heart God's called you to be a preacher, to go to school, prepare for ministry. He said, yes, I do. He said to him, if I could get a millionaire to pay your way to seminary, you'd go? The man got real quiet. He said, I'm going to ask you again. If I could get a millionaire to pay your way to Bible college, you would go. You feel that strongly about it? Well, this time the young man's getting really excited. He said, yeah, I'd go. You bet I would go. He said, well, let me tell you something. Your father is a millionaire. He's your heavenly father. He has called you to go. He will make a way for you to go. He will lead you there. He will guide you through it, and he'll get you to the other side. You already have a millionaire on your side. Now, are you going to go or aren't you? I firmly believe where God guides, He supplies. I don't believe God ever calls us to do something He will not equip us to do or guide us through. He'll bring us through it. He'll provide for it. Amen? My God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Crystal and I had been married just three years when God called. Well, He called about a year before that for us to prepare to go to seminary. And then after our third year of teaching school together... We just quit our jobs. I mean, how do, you, how do you go to school? You resign what you're doing 
and you go. I mean, we didn't have any other way to do it. To us, it was, it was a no-brainer. We can't stay there and go seven hours away to prepare for ministry. So we just quit. We resigned in advance. We didn't just drop the bomb on them, you know. We resigned, told them it was coming up, and then when it was time, we left. I, we were band directors, so our, our band had to play for graduation. That was on a Tuesday. And then we had Wednesday. We finished up our school inventory. On Thursday morning, at 4 in the morning, we got up, and we had everything loaded, and we moved to Fort Worth. On Friday, I went to, well, that night, about 4 o'clock, we checked into a little bitty 750-square-foot apartment. It was located about 60 feet from the railroad tracks. Praise the Lord for that. Friday morning, went to orientation. Monday morning, started seminary courses for the summer. It was just like that. No jobs. Crystal had been applying. Two months go by, still no, no position opened up for her. Nothing, nothing. One opened up, wasn't the right thing. Really hurting in the heart saying, but if we don't take this, if we don't take this, we won't have anything. How are we going to do this? I said, you don't take what God's not led us to take. So didn't take that one. The week before school started, the phone rang. Not only was it someone looking for an assistant band director, it was someone we knew of from when we lived in West Texas. Already familiar with our name. Had already met several years before. Didn't even know they were working in Irving at the time. I mean, God has a way of putting names out there and bringing people together and providing and doing things. And so God supplied. Now, did He do it early? No, He did not. (laughs) Did He do it when we wanted it to happen? No, He did not. But He did it right on time, didn't He? Amen. God will supply all your need. He's just that kind of God. He did it how we needed it to happen. We thought we needed it to happen earlier. God says they need to learn to trust me. He made it happen in his timing. Seminary was expensive. Times were tough. There were times that we lived hand to mouth. You ever heard that? It was from God's hand to our mouth. So I'm telling you, God met our needs and he'll meet your needs. He will supply your needs. So first, Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray. But then look ahead with me on to verse 25 in chapter 6. Because now he explains it a little more thoroughly to them. This idea of, of asking concerning the needs. Give us this day our daily bread. And then we go to verse 25 in chapter 6 where he goes on to say this. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. What you'll eat and what you'll drink. Don't be worried about your body and what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? You know what he's saying? Worry is senseless. You have a Father in heaven. It's senseless to worry. Verse 26, he says, Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow. They're not scrambling around just... So given to storing up, everything's got to be happening right now. I mean, they're not worried about all that. And when's the last time you saw them planting seeds in the ground? They don't sow for what they have. They're not reaping and gathering in the barns. He said, but your heavenly Father feeds them. He feeds them. Are you not more valuable than the birds? Well, of course we're more valuable to God than little birds, little sparrows, little birds of any kind for that matter. What farmer would neglect his children so that he could feed his chickens? 
I mean, that doesn't make any sense. Starve your kids so that you can feed your chickens. Don't let them suffer. How senseless that would be. And that's exactly what he's getting at here. He takes care of the fowl of the air. Will he not take care of you, being that you're so much more valuable than birds? Jesus said for you to worry about tomorrow's bread is senseless. Not only senseless, it's just plain useless. Look at verse 27. Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to its stature? That is, which of you can worry and make yourself taller? What basketball player doesn't want to be more tall, right? I mean, the tallest. What, what, who doesn't want to be six foot eight, guys? I mean, and be able to slam that ball. We all would like to be that. But you know what? You worrying about it does not make you grow any taller. It's just useless. Verse 28 and 29, he says, So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. I was told there are more than 2,000 varieties of lilies. 2,000 kinds of lilies. They're lilies, there's just so many different kinds of lilies. And that tells us that God is a God of great variety, is He not? God loves things different. He did, aren't you so glad He didn't just make one flower and every flower on the earth is just like that one flower? And aren't you thankful that He didn't make every single person in this room look just alike, act just alike, talk just alike, feel the same things? We're different. God is a God of great variety. 2,000 kinds of lilies. My goodness. I read somewhere that there are 30,000 people who are Elvis impersonators. Now can you imagine if God's such a God of great variety that 30,000 people trying to go around being someone they're not, look like someone they're not, sound like someone they're not, (laughs) trying to be like somebody else. When God likes variety, He made you special just the way you are. He created you. He's worked in your life in a special, unique kind of way that He didn't work in someone else's life. Why? He has plans for that life just like He has plans for yours. And everything's not the same. Everyone's not intended to be the same. You encounter things in your life that someone else might not encounter. Your needs may be different today than what someone else is dealing with right now and what their needs are. And that's okay because God knows their need just like He knows your need. He loves variety. He made us all different, but He loves us all the same. Don't you know that you're more important to God than a single lily? Yet they're out in the field, they're blowing in the wind. They're not concerned, He's saying. They're not worried. They're not sitting here going, well, I hope the good Lord sends a little sunshine today. It's been a little damp around here lately. They're not worried. I think we need a quarter inch today at least. They're not. Lilies aren't worried about that. They're lilies. They're just growing in the field. Will he not clothe you just like he does them? And then he says, oh, you of little faith. So you see, not only is worry senseless and useless, it's also faithless. Look with me at verse 31. Therefore do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For after these things the Gentiles seek... For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Now, that, that little passage, that little part of this gives me a problem. I don't like that. 
Why don't I like that? Because sometimes I worry. It really gives me a problem when the Lord of all says in His Word, sometimes as a believer, I worry and act like a pagan. That just troubles me a little bit. I don't like that. I don't want to be known for acting like a non-believer. That's who the Gentiles were. They were the people not of God. They were not His people. They were not part of His covenant. They were the non-believers. They were the pagans. They worshipped idols. They built idols out of gold, out of silver, out of wood. They worshipped them. They bowed the knee to them. That's those Gentiles. They pray to their gods for things that are not even God. They're not even... They're just made of stuff. And when you're worrying, you might as well be bowing down with the pagans to some false god because you're acting like them. I don't want to be acting like someone God has not made me to be. God has made me His child. He is my Heavenly Father. I am His child. He will never be guilty of neglecting me Why would I act like He cannot supply my need? For us to have a Heavenly Father yet go scrambling around worrying about the things that we need is faithless. But He goes on and He says, Instead, seek first the kingdom of God. And we just had a message about that, didn't we? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. The things that God wants to do. He said, seek that first. What's God wanting to do in your life? Seek after that first. What's God wanting to do around you? Seek after that first. Put your mind and focus on that first. What about God's kingdom being established on the earth? What about those end time things He wants us to focus on? Him coming to the earth in all glory and majesty and victory. Establishing His kingdom on the earth that the Bible talks about. Focus on that. God, what do you want to do in my life? It says, and His righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God. And here's a general statement when he's talking about the kingdom of God here. And this is, this, I'm, just a, I'm just a Texas, West Texas boy. And so I just try to lay things out like I can savvy them. And when I talk about the kingdom of God in the general sense, here's the only way I can define it that I think fits people. What does it mean, the kingdom of God? Anything and everything about God. Is it about what He owns? It's part of His kingdom. Who He has saved, they're part of God's kingdom. What He wants to do in your life, That's God's kingdom work. Anything and everything about God and who He is and what He wants to do, that's the kingdom of God in this sense. Seek first those things and His righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. Those who pray daily, they have come to know something. And what they've come to know, I mean they're consistent in their prayer life. They seek the Father about their needs. They bring their requests before them. They, they come, as, as Matthew 6 says, as Jesus said, and they look to God the Father. And they 
Talk about with him his attributes, his holiness, how holy his name is. And they begin to speak those things to him in praise and adoration. They don't just ask for what they need. I mean, they've come to stay a while. They're praying about that. God, you're my heavenly father. They talk about the relationship with him a while. They might even go back and start talking about, thank you for the day that you saved me. You remember when, 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 this, this, that, 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 and you saved me. And you brought me out of that. Thank you, God. You're holy. You're so other than this world. I mean, they go through it. They spend some time. They're talking with their Heavenly Father. Those who do that consistently, here's what they've come to conclude. That prayer is not about the daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. It's not about the bread. It's about the relationship. That's what they come to learn. And so we look at people sometimes and say, man, they have a strong relationship with God. They do. It's not about what they need to ask for. Those needs are real. But it's more than that. It's about seeking your Heavenly Father and having a relationship with Him. And because of the relationship, because of seeking after God kingdom things, God things that he wants to do in your life. You're seeking after his righteousness. Because of that, he bestows on you according to what you ask for. And he does it often. Not always in our timing, but in his. In fact, there's some things I've asked God for. I'm so glad he didn't give them to me. So it's not about bread. It's about the relationship. It's about personal surrender. It's about us giving our lives to the one who died on the cross that we might be free from the things that entangle us. This sin, Paul talked about, that so entangles us in this world. It's about being free from those things and us finding rest in Him. So the question for you today is, have you come to that place of surrender in your life where it's about His righteousness? It's not really about the need and, and let's be honest, how many have a need right now? Just raise your hand. You have a need, and you're saying, I really am seeking the Lord about this. Sure, so many. We've got needs. Is that okay, Brother Christian? Are you getting on to me for having a need? Absolutely not. Because i tell you one reason you have a need. You have a need because God wants you to draw closer to Him. It's about the relationship. The question is, have you surrendered to Him?